Welcome to the Sleep Charming Podcast, the podcast where I help you drift off for a good night's sleep or simply take a moment to relax. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review or a rating. So sit back, take a deep breath, and let me read you an old story. After the excitement of his discovery had worn off, Mel began to cautiously test its potential. He carefully directed his thoughts at Jenkins and caused an instant reaction. For a brief moment, he felt a resilient pressure as if something were pressing against his own brain. He instinctively pushed back harder and heard Jenkins yell as the opposing pressure collapsed. The assistant was leaning against a work table, a dazed look on his face. What happened? Mel asked. I don't know, said the other, pressing a hand to the side of his head. It felt as if something had hit me in the head. Now it aches a little. Guess I'll have to do something about this cold. He left, still holding a hand to his head. It was obvious that his newly discovered power could be dangerous, so Mel proceeded with his experimenting more slowly. Jenkins was still his only guinea pig, and he learned to gauge just when the assistant's resistance was about to collapse and reduce the intensity of his own probing accordingly. He was disappointed to discover that either it was impossible to read another's mind or that he hadn't discovered the method. However, he could roughly direct the other's actions. Jenkins had been becoming increasingly nervous, so Mel became even more subtle in his experimenting. He'd wait until the assistant was idle, and then either make him cross his legs or put one or the other of his hands up to scratch his head. He finally became so smooth and accurate in his control that it lost most of its interest as a means of recreation. He began to extend his range. Wood and concrete offered no impedance at all. Metal, with the exception of aluminium, cut the intensity roughly about half. Jenkins was in Mel's room when he first probed Neil's brain. His partner's mental resistance was much higher, and he pressed slowly but methodically so that the breakthrough would be controlled. To his surprise, he found that Neil's brain was much easier to control than that of Jenkins had been. It was about this time that he found he was beginning to master the sharing of his host's eyesight. While he might not be able to read another's mind, it would be a big help to know what someone else was doing or what he was looking at. He tried searching outside the building, but found nothing, other than an occasional small spot of resistance that would probably indicate a small animal. That wasn't surprising since the lab was hidden in caves in a secluded canyon that had no attraction to the casual wanderer. His next concentration was on the animals he encountered ever so often. His first few attempts resulted in sudden and complete collapse of resistance, and he sadly concluded that his control had been too powerful and resulted in their death. He tried more carefully and was overjoyed when he established contact with their visual senses. The sensation was almost as overpowering as if he had suddenly gained eyesight of his own. For the first time in months, he reveled in seeing the country around the outside of the lab, and never before had he thought it was so beautiful. 
Once while in control of a rabbit's mind, he saw an eagle flying overhead. He quickly transferred, and before the bird flew far away enough to make control impossible, he enjoyed the far-reaching vision of the bird's eyes as it swept on towards some hidden nest. He could even see the city in the distance. Several times he neglected to notice Neil's entrance into the room. So absorbed did he become in his newly discovered, if second-hand, freedom. What's happened to you anyway? demanded his erstwhile partner, one day after he had had to repeat a question. Half of the time lately you're lost in a world of your own. What are you up to anyway? Nothing, replied Mel, suddenly alert to any new danger, although confident he could take care of himself now. I was just going over some new equations. I've been formulating as a hobby. Now that you've taken away my cart, there isn't much to keep me occupied, you know. You don't begin to bring enough problems. What's wrong? Mel wished that he could read the other's mind since Neil began to act evasive. He laughed with a false heartiness. Wrong, why I've, we've, he corrected, already made a fortune on a couple of our own patents, as well as commissions from Project Solutions. Someone might get suspicious if we did too well or too much. This made sense, but Mel couldn't resist digging. You mean that your past record of success, as measured against your supposed one now, might make the police ask questions, he asked. The other remained silent, so he pressed the attack. Or are they already wondering why I haven't been seen for so long? There were a few questions at first, admitted the other, but I think I've satisfied them all. However, I've been thinking that it might be a good idea to move you somewhere else. But hardly anyone knows the lab exists, protested Mal. The power company does. Even if the meters are way down the road, we should have planned our own generators from the first. Then there's the deed recorder. This land is in both our names, you know. It'd still be a tremendous project, pointed out Mel. You couldn't begin to keep the new location secret because you'd need help in moving me. One little slip and it'd all be over. There was an upward curl to the other's lips that Mel didn't like. Oh, we'd have to be careful, he admitted. Luckily, the time delay won't hurt anyone. There's so much money rolling in. He hesitated for a moment, as if in thought, then concluded. In fact, there's no project on now, unless you have a private one of your own. It might be a good idea to plan on the move right away. I still don't like the idea, stated Mel, flatly. I'd like to think it over for a couple days. Think it over all you want, said Neil, with a grin. He walked to the calculator and patted it near the jolter. Only don't forget that I don't have to ask you. He waited almost hopefully, but Mel said nothing, content with the feeling of power and knowledge that, so long as he was prepared, the other could do nothing immediate to harm him. The time had come for action, however. Mel kept mental contact with his partner after he had left. Neil went directly to the office and unlocked the centre drawer of his desk. He then began pulling out papers and scanning them rapidly, placing some back and keeping others out. Mel gasped to himself when he saw the bank statement and the amount of money deposited under the name of the partnership. That in Neil's personal account was large, but it was perfectly obvious. According to dates, Mel could see through the other's eyes that the transfer of funds had not been underway for long. 
As it now stood, they were both practically millionaires, but he knew Neil wouldn't be satisfied. Watching through the other's eyes, Mel had his vision switch from the desk to the door. He saw that Jenkins had just entered, mouth moving. He thought he could read his lips just enough to make out his own name. Jenkins appeared to stop and listen to Neil. Then his facial expression changed as his lips protested over something. Mel's vision then switched to another desk drawer that had been opened, and he saw his missing revolver nesting in it. Neil withdrew it and pointed it at Jenkins. The assistant stepped back, hands up as if to ward off a blow. Then a placating, if anxious, smile spread over his face, and his mouth worked rapidly, too much so for Mel to read any words. Whatever had been said, it appeared to satisfy Neil, since he lowered the revolver. Mel broke contact and came to his own room in stationary video scanners that served as his eyes. Jenkins came in, and his manner made it plain to Mel that he was labouring under an intense pressure. He began puttering around the work table, gradually making his way closer to the tank housing Mel's brain. Jenkins, said Mel, purposely extra loud. The assistant jumped nervously, dropping a piece of metal he had picked up. Yes, he almost quavered. Have you ever thought how it would be to be condemned to a life like mine? No, not especially. Why should I? You helped put me here, you know. I was only following orders, I... I know how Neil can force a person to do something. But you could help me, you know. How's that? Suspiciously. I'm not going to tell anyone, if that's what you're driving at. No, I'm not trying to get you to do that. All I want is the fuse replaced in my cart. Then it would feel as if I were moving around and break up the monotony. This is worse than any solitary cell in prison could ever be. No, refused the assistant flatly. It wouldn't do you any good anyway. He stopped, hand going to his mouth as if he had said something he wasn't supposed to. How's that, Jenkins? Reminded Mel as gently as he could. What's supposed to happen? I don't know, replied Jenkins sullenly. Put a fuse back in the cart, directed Mel. At the same time, he applied pressure, almost to the breaking point, against the other's mind. No. He knifed through to the other's brain with ease, just enough power to accomplish his purpose without harming Jenkins. This was the most complete control Mel had ever attempted, and Jenkins' legs moved spasmodically as though he were a puppet on strings. There was horror in his bulging eyes, and sweat began breaking out on his forehead. Relentlessly, he was forced towards the cart, until at last, it had been reached. Jenkins, said Mel, as low as he could, can you hear me? A slight twitch of the head was the only indication that he could, so Mel instructed. There's a spare fuse near the holder, Jenkins. Take it out, and place it in the primary circuit. Do that, and I'll let you go. If need be, I could kill you now. The fuse, Jenkins. He relaxed his hold slightly, but Jenkins made no attempt to comply. Mel continued. Remember the dead mouse, Jenkins? I did that. The fuse, before I lose my patience. 
He applied more power until the other's hand began moving unsteadily towards the cart. As he withdrew slightly from mental contact, Jenkins continued his task and in a moment Mel was able to move the cart. He had momentarily forgotten Jenkins until he became aware that the assistant had let out a yell of terror and was rushing to the door. Mel watched with amusement, knowing that he could have stopped the other with hardly a strain. Just before he reached the door, it opened, and Neil appeared. Jenkins came to a halt and stared in terror at his employer. Well, said the other impatiently, what's been keeping you, Jenkins? Did you... No, he didn't, answered Mel. At the same time, he caused the cart to move sideways and swung the video scanner until it was staring directly at Neil. Well, said the latter accusingly, switching his gaze to the terrified Jenkins. So this is how you follow out orders. He made me do it, boss. He made me, babbled Jenkins, as Neil, face set with determination, drew his revolver from a pocket. Before the astounded Mel could do more than gaze incredulously, there were two sharp cracks and Jenkins slowly placed his arms around his stomach and rolled back and forth in agony, before toppling over to the floor to lie motionless. Now you, said Neil, swinging the revolver towards Mel's tank. Mel frantically stabbed at his partner's mind but could feel no pressure. Another shot rang out and he felt a numbing pressure, seemingly from every direction that could only mean it was against his physical brain itself. The shock forced him to use every bit of power he possessed to keep conscious. Neil had lowered the revolver a trifle and was saying in a superior tone, whatever you did to Jenkins is only hasten the inevitable. If that makes you feel any better, I'd have had to get rid of him too once you were disposed of. He began raising the revolver again, and the dazed Mel instinctively relayed power to the cart. The eyes had been pointing directly at Neil, and the only sound that indicated the energy gun had been set off was a slight hiss. The effect on Neil was not only instantaneous, but horrible to see. His body appeared to swell until he looked bloated, and then disintegrated. Mel felt himself becoming weak and hastily brought the cart over to examine the damage the shot had done. Almost fearfully, he scanned himself and saw, with relief, that the shot had penetrated the tank and was letting the life-giving liquid escape onto the floor. A quick glance into the tank showed that the lead pallet had missed his brain, but the pressure on the liquid had caused him the initial pain. He directed the cart over to the workbench and brought back a tapered piece of wood. The arm placed it into the hole and then applied pressure until the trickle had stopped. It would do until he could affect a permanent patch. He began to feel stronger almost immediately, and he knew the automatic features of his metal body were renewing the liquid at top speed. Using the cart, he first checked the supply of chemicals, fed as needed into the tank, and saw that there was a sufficient quantity to last him for at least a month. He thanked the good fortune that allowed Jenkins to put the cart into operation before it was too late. Without it, his end would have been as certain as if Neil had been successful in killing him. His first task was to construct several more carts, each complete with video scanner. One of them was larger than the other. 
Its first task was to dispose of the two putrefying bodies. Working almost 24 hours a day, he hooked an intercommunication system to every room of the underground lab and directly into his system. Even the telephone was connected to it, so that if necessary, he could answer it or make a call. The day finally arrived when there was no more he could do. The entire lab was almost like a steel and concrete body. So thoroughly had its every function been integrated as part of his brain. The decision he had almost been frantically avoiding could no longer be put aside. He had almost a week in which to decide. It would be simple to call the police and in turn let them notify the various scientists as to his position. He dreaded the thought of the circus that the lab would become. Ernest, while friends, would troop in to look at him with morbid curiosity. And then when his potential became known, tasks would be assigned. There was a definite possibility that he would be removed, even at the danger of injury to himself. Countless thousands would demand it, and their will would be obeyed unless the curtain of national security could be drawn across him. One day was spent in contacting the animals outside of the lab and reveling in flight for a while. Then he sped through the countryside, first with a coyote and then with a deer. There was a possibility that if the scientists moved him, his new tank would be shielded so that it would be impossible to enjoy himself as he was now. All in the name of science, of course. On the other hand, if it were possible to have all supplies delivered to a nearby point where he could pick them up, he could continue his present method of existence. His mind jumped eagerly from problem to problem which he could undoubtedly solve for the benefit of mankind. The present patents in the partnership's name would bring enough money indefinitely to pursue them, since much could be done by pure thought. There was the survival phase first. He would devise an electronic blanket ray that would dampen all atomic explosions. Then he would turn to the health of people all over the world, wipe out diseases. All this would depend, of course, on his being able to remain undisturbed, and that might tax his powers to their utmost. He wondered if it would be worth the effort. Finally, he had less than three days left, which narrowed the safety margin to the lowest point he cared to think about. He opened the telephone circuit and heard the operator say, Number, please. He hesitated briefly, then said, The Waring Chemical Supply House, please. His order was soon placed, and afterwards, he felt almost as free and elated as when, as a boy, school had let out for the summer. The manual dexterity of the metallic fingers he had constructed would enable him to write checks with his own signature. A faint idea had even tickled his curiosity, and he felt certain that he could grow cells within a couple of weeks. From there, he would work on a body for himself, one even more efficient than the old one Neil had destroyed. A human in the lab at that moment would have been startled. As near possible as it was for any wheeled vehicle to do so, he had several carts almost doing a jig in the main office. His new life had just begun. 